0: each week, as she brings you a new distinguished guest from the business, sports, or entertainment world to share their success, their struggles, and their lessons, they will share their insights into current hot topics that affect everyone. Isabella facilitates an intimate, vulnerable environment to find the true value of humanity and real leadership. Are you ready for your legacy, the legacy that matters? Hello, hello, my beautiful friends. It's Isabella Lumbeck here, the world messenger, and I'm welcoming you for another epic um legacy leader show today's guest is joining us from georgia he is exceptional human he is retired successful journalist back in the days guys when journalism was the journalism he is morning news director and executive producer or he was corporate communication executive He is phenomenal volunteer, blood donor, and I'm absolutely blessed to have him friend, uh, call him friend and mentor, actually. So please welcome Brian Olson. Brian, welcome. Hi, Isabella.
1: How are you? I'm great.
0: How are you? Excellent. Thank you so much for finding time to join us. I know you have busy recreational schedule, would you like? that <laughs> <laughs> so many of us can be quite a bit of jealous.
1: <laughs> it's all right. It's okay.
0: <laughs> you earned it. You earned it. You deserve it. And I'm so glad to live it curiously and see you guys having blasts. So how is everything in Georgia these days?
1: It's it's great. You know, uh, we moved here. Our kids and grandkids live about 20 miles away from us. Uh, was why the reason we moved uh, to Georgia after being 20 years in Colorado. Uh, but We're on beautiful Lake Lanier, and that's just kind of a picture from one of our kayaking trips that we make all the time, and uh, we really love it here. Uh, Although, like everywhere else in the world, uh, you know, COVID-19 has um, just sort of put a damper on a lot of stuff. But like communities everywhere uh, around the country, we're finding ways to deal with it and uh, adjust to it, and being out in the lake and stuff like that is a pretty safe thing to do.
0: Absolutely, and and I'm so glad you're able to do that. So I'm glad things are going well for you back in Georgia. And uh, with the move and change, obviously, um, a lot of changes happened. Uh, and uh, one of the biggest changes that I'm seeing that happen, I'm sure, is how journalism actually changed, how profession changed over the years. Do you mind share a little bit of your personal story? How did you even get into journalism and, and, and uh, some really interesting journey uh, that we can unpack here?
1: Well, you know, Isabella, as you well know, um, life, you can you can wake up one morning and think, okay, this is the way my life is going to go, and then you look back at it uh, after you retired like me and said, holy cow, I didn't see that coming. Uh, but I was about to start college at the University of Wisconsin, and just on a whim, uh, and actually I was really more interested in going into just radio Uh, But I was going to be a a radio television film production major at the University of Wisconsin. So I wrote a letter to Walter Cronkite of the CBS Evening News and just saying, you know, uh, Mr. Cronkite, what would you suggest um, I study in college? And uh, he wrote back. I never thought he would, but he did. So never hesitate to write to somebody who you think can help you out. They'll probably respond to you. Uh, But it was Uh interesting as one of the world's renowned journalists. He said, don't study journalism. He said, learn how our country works, learn the difference between a county commissioner and a city council person, learn the different roles of the, 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 the house and the legislature and the governor, um, both federally and locally, and understand how our country works, how our economy works, because he said, you can't report on things if you don't understand them. And uh, so, you know, I kind of followed along and um, actually my, my first job I applied for, I walked in off the street at uh, Channel 5 Television in Cheyenne. That's where my wife is from, and we wanted to move out there. And so we did. And um, I just walked in off the street and just said, hey, I'd like to maybe get a production job, even part time. I just want to get my foot in the door. But as I talked to the general manager, uh, we start talking more about what he thought about our news and the news they were doing. And I reported back to him a couple of weeks later, and he offered me a job in the news department. And within six months, I was a news director and anchor at the station. So some years after that, I'm on the board of directors of the Radio Television News Directors Association, and I'm at a a big luncheon in New York. And I'm I'm seated at the head table in between Governor Mario Cuomo and Attorney Alan Dershowitz feeling like a fish out of water. (laughs) And um, it, it was just interesting. But out in the crowd, I spotted Walter Cronkite at the CBS table. So I said, excuse me, gentlemen, uh, I need to say hi to somebody, and so I walked up to Walter, and I was with the CBS affiliate, and I said, Walter, years ago, you wrote me a letter, and I listened to what you said to me, and I followed what you said to me, and here I am sitting at the head table of this big luncheon, uh, news association luncheon, I said, you should be at the head table, not me. And Walter said, I hate being at the head table because I'm always worried about spilling something on my tie. So, <laughs> so we just chatted for a couple of minutes. I had to get back. Of course, I didn't want to bother him. But wouldn't you know, a few months later at a um, news association luncheon, our, our Paul White Award um, dinner, um, Walter was our keynote speaker. And we were at the head table together. And So we got to talk a lot more and and, and just chat and like I say he was he never wanted to be at the head table but he ended up at a head table with me, and uh, and so you know we had our picture taken and all that sort of stuff and then a few years after that when I was at Channel Three in Phoenix, he was coming by to uh, promote his book, and I had I brought that picture with me and I had him autograph it so, um, you know it it started out with a letter and our paths crossed several times and then he introduced me. Uh, to someone who became my news writing mentor, Merv Block, who was one of the principal writers for the CBS Evening News with Walter Cronkite. So it all started with just one letter, and boom.
0: Wow, that is such a powerful story. Actually, it started with courage, with desire, interest, and, and for you to identify who you're looking up to. And for people that don't know who Walter is, do you mind just sharing? I mean, he is known as the most trusted American uh, journalist and broadcaster and, and and obviously having very powerful tenure uh, on the CBS. But do you mind just from your perspective and then just for others who might be a little bit younger to really highlight uh, his legacy actually?
1: Well, Walter Cronkite um, started out as one of uh, Murrow's boys, as they say, um, Edward R. Murrow, of course, and, and Walter Cronkite and um, Andy Rooney, um, all uh, correspondents covering World War II and that's where Walter got his start. He went to the University of Texas and uh, to study and that's where and my youngest daughter is a graduate of the University of Texas so there's another connection. But even he flew aboard, uh, Walter flew aboard combat missions with the Eighth Air Force. In fact there was one time they were so crazy he was actually having to fire at German aircraft. He was firing a machine gun Uh, But he later went on into uh, radio at CBS and then became the anchor of the CBS Evening News. And uh, Walter was voted uh, the most trusted man in America, not the most trusted journalist, but the most trusted man in America. And when you look back um, at some of the moments in our nation's history when President uh, Kennedy was assassinated in Dallas, it was Walter Cronkite who broke the news to us um, about the assassination and that he had died and when Americans first landed on the moon, it was Walter Cronkite who didn't hide his emotions. It was such a memorable moment in American space exploration that he he was basically on camera saying, "Wow!" You know, and uh, he was somebody that I think everybody on Main Street um, uh, c- could could identify with. And it was a time when the CBS they did a half hour of news a day. They did a half hour at 5:30 where we lived and, and maybe different it changed in different time zones but him and and oh um, uh, Brinkley and and um, they were a generation of journalists who came up through you know crazy times in our country and uh, and really made a place in in history and news has evolved in many ways good and I think some ways bad uh, but he was Walter Cronkite was the person who told you the most important things going on in the world, and you trusted him.
0: Wow, guys, this is so powerful. So look at what Brian did. He was young. How old are you when you wrote that letter? I'm just curious because people are so afraid and paralyzed to approach people or or, or to do things. Uh, to think outside of the box, or or just follow their gut, and, and 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 this is such a courageous move. Now understanding the power behind this man, I mean, I, I'm just getting you know goosebumps. Like, would I dare to approach him? <laughs> if I was in your shoes.
1: Uh, I was 18. Uh, I, was sen- <laughs> se- I was in
0: my I was in
1: my senior uh, senior year in high school, uh, Goodrich High School in Fond du Lac. And um, I, I just said, why not? I mean, I didn't expect him to write back. I mean, he's Walter Cronkite for Pete's sake, you know, uh, but it was about a week and a half later and this is the day's not email or anything. It was a le- uh, typed out a letter and put it in the mailbox. And I remember uh, opening up the mailbox at our house and uh, there was uh, a letter from uh, CBS News, New York. And I opened it up and it was a personal note from Walter. It wasn't a form letter. It was a, it was a personal letter that he wrote and signed. And, um, you know, it just, it laid a foundation for my whole life.
0: Wow, that is, I, 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 can, I can see why and I can see how, but again, if you did not dare, if you didn't do it, and a lot of times how many people pass on opportunities that are right in front of them because they don't dare to do it, um, look at that. So... You were mentioning, um, obviously, this amazing ride and opportunities and awards, but, but how actually journalism changed and, and Newcast actually, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm blown away seeing that a TV Newcast was done one in 1890? Is, is this, is this, could you tell us a little more about that?
1: Well, that was something, again, I had mentioned Merv Block, who uh, through Walter, I got to meet. And he was my newswriting mentor. And one of the things that Merv um, taught me was you have to make the story meaningful on Main Street. Literally, that's your viewers. He referred to them as Main Street. And um, we were, it was um, 1990, and it was Wyoming's centennial year. And this was a big moment in Wyoming history. The, the state was a hundred years old, and there were just events going on all year long and we cover them, you know all the balls and gala things and there's a wagon train that went, made its way across Wyoming and we had crews with them. But there was something that just wasn't I, I just felt we were missing out on something. How can we make this anniversary important to our viewers? And the culmination of uh, the statehood ceremonies was a recreation of the statehood ceremony at the Capitol. Uh, Governor Sullivan at the time, for instance, uh, played his counterpart 100 years ago, um, territorial Governor Francis E. Warren. And, And then the light bulb went off. I said, why don't we do our newscast as if it was July 1st, 1890. Instead of 1990.
0: Oh, now makes sense. <laughs> so,
1: so we I got together with. We only had about six days to do this, and uh, I got together with the state museum and uh, my my team completely embraced the idea. But we were jer- we were on set wearing period costume. I had a bowler hat. And these kind of princeness <laughs> glasses on very distinguished journalists you know and 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 we acted like it was july 1st 1890 and all our all our reporters out in the field were, were dressed in period costume uh i remember our sports reporter would did a story about a, a new sport evolving back east called baseball and uh we also did a story we in our archives we found a story from back in the day about a stagecoach robbery in laramie wyoming and but we, we took our viewers back and it was, it was a risk because um, we didn't want, we wanted to be serious about it. Uh, but we did the newscast uh, as if it was July 1st, 1890. And immediately after the newscast, we got offset. our phones rang off the hook. Literally thousands of requests for copies of the newscast, just for souvenirs. Uh, there were teachers who were asking for them. They wanted to show it to their students. Uh, it, and I, it, it was trusting your audience that they were willing to take a ride with you, and they did, and they enjoyed it, and so it, there was a risk, but uh, there's risk in everything we do, but if, you're, if your gut's with you, uh, take the risk, it'll usually work out.
0: That is a lesson, and that is so epic, uh, but in order to also to have that, tr- uh, I mean, you have to have a trust, right, and build that mm-hmm. trust by knowing your audience, knowing who you, who you are dealing with, so... That is very, very impactful. So how? And I should I
1: should should add quickly um, that it 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 was a team effort. Um, I had fantastic people uh, working on my team, and and we were all in this together. We all embraced. We either had to be in it together or not at all. And the team embraced it. They got into it, and it was a team effort, and that's why it was so successful.
0: Wow, that is another great golden nugget here, guys. That you're watching and listening. Because um, so much more we can accomplish together um, and when we are unified and shared the vision, unity of team and and shared vision makes magic, doesn't it?
1: Yep. Hire, Hire people smarter than you are.
0: That's, that's why I look always for smart accomplished mentors like, like Brian and, and learning and uh, fast forwarding what can I do to actually apply with things that are happening right now. And obviously television changed so much. Uh, and initially when you said earlier, you started, uh, didn't know what, 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 what's gonna happen, but all of those things that you mentioned thus far obviously impacted tremendously your career and, and, and plan. Do you mind uh, sharing uh trajectory of that? How, how that's changed for something that you maybe thought, I'm just gonna double my toe in it or this might be my backup plan into truly fledged career?
1: Well, the irony was uh, when we moved um, uh, to Wyoming, uh, my wife and I, I had also enlisted in the Wyoming Air National Guard. Um, I wanted to fly C-130s. It's a big four engine jet prop transport aircraft. And so I enlisted, and I had told the station that um, you know that I was enlisting in the Air National Guard, and I, I needed—I would have to go through basic training and officers' candidate school and all this sort of stuff before I could go to work for them. And uh, they were totally cool with that. And um, the only problem is, I was right at that point where I'm going into the Air National Guard. And um, my flight physical, uh, unfortunately, I had a hyperthyroid condition a couple of years before that, but that ended my flying career right there. So I just ended up, um, you know, going right to the television station, and I said, "Oh, I can work now." So, uh, but my first choice was um, was the was the Air Force. But at the same time, uh, in my career, I got to cover the military a lot. Uh, I went to air, I went to the Air War College, I went to SAC Missile Comp at Vandenberg. I uh, did stories on three aircraft carriers. So um, I, I sort of had all the fun of the military without having to go to basic training. So it worked out.
0: I could I could tell. And, and sometimes we don't even know what, what we're here for, right? What we're really yeah. trying to do, what we have the natural talent, like like your ex- excellent, exceptional communication, not only verbal and written, but also understanding, again, the audience and how to connect with the audience and, and how journalism Um, changed so much uh, based on demands as technology developed, as um, audience changed their priorities and shifts, right? And adaptation. So if if you don't mind just sharing some of the journalism one-on-one golden nuggets, what did you learn uh, so that journalists or uh, people that are having their own blogs or their own shows can really uh, take it to the heart some of the most pivotal things that helped you out.
1: Well, again, referring back, I'm going to give you three tips, and I, w- I would tell this to college students. These are the three most important things to understand about journalism. The, uh, the first two I was, um, were from my friend, again, Merv Block, my writing mentor, and I said, so rule number one is subject, verb, object, and rule number two is attribution before assertion. And number three is don't forget to order porta potties. And that's about the time where the kids in the class would, What? What? <laughs> and that came from a story we were. Um, covering a rare hurricane coming off the uh, Gulf of California, coming up into Arizona. It was about a cat three hurricane. Uh, it's about 1997, I think it was. And I had four satellite trucks at my disposal and, and top people, I was the field producer, uh, great reporters and photographers. And we were assigned to a compound um, where you know the, all the media could be and all that sort of stuff. The one thing that was missing though, and we're doing live shots every five minutes. It's not like you do a live shot and then you got a, a half the day off. You're going nonstop for 48 hours. Uh, but I had all this technology, all this talent. The one thing we didn't have was a place to go to the bathroom.
0: Wow.
1: So uh, working with local <laughs> folks, we arranged we arranged to get porta potties into the, the news compound. <laughs> and so, Because you can do all this stuff, but you know, when nature calls. <laughs> it it calls so you just got to be so there's one of those lessons that you just say wow i never thought of that but i do now
0: <laughs> yeah you have to plan very well and, and 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 kind of work backwards what you may need and what that looks like and then what, what how to close the gap yeah so in terms of um uh, those three golden nuggets, th- those are great ones. Again, thank you for sharing that. And 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 they're kind of segue into the journalism today, obviously, because we have national, we have a local, we have a national, we have international news. We have major week, obviously, this week with election, with results, with uh, a lot of uh, buzz and um, and noise. Frankly, you know, it's like it's is, is a true. Depth of anything in some of the posts or writings or clips, and, and 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 sometimes we can see how journalism really can rile us up and then also calm us down and give us the confidence of what is really happening and what is the true pulse of the current situation. So, Diman, elaborate a little bit about that.
1: Well, again, uh, when I started out in news and again with uh, just referring back to the CBS Evening News with Walter Cronkite, it was a 30-minute newscast. And now we are bombarded with 24-hour news sources. I, I remember the video clip of when uh, Ted Turner uh, just was about to throw the switch on CNN launching BAT. Was it 1980 or something like that? And he, um, he, he threw the switch and he said, remember, once I turn this on, we can't stop. We're going 24-7. Um, but something just I, I read this morning uh, really struck home with me. And it was talking about, uh, and again, as we, we, we record this the day before the election, but recording about uh, all the confusion, all the confusion about the election and what's going on and what's going to happen. And, you know, it struck me, we've been electing presidents in this country for hundreds of years. Why did it get complicated? How can one person, one vote? And you and I are both immigrants to this country. We understand that, you know? We're, we have to know that. Uh, how did it get so complicated? And this is just my personal theory, but when you're going 24 hours a day or you're, you're a local newscast and you're doing four and a half hours in the morning alone, um, that's more than most newscasts used to do in a week. You lose the valuable time to think and ponder And you're always looking for the new angle you know the election's coming up tomorrow the election's coming up oh we're we're voting how's the voting going on you know and and you said well well we reported on that half an hour ago what can we do different you know and i think that's a path that is steering us not in a good way where we're always trying to reinvent an already great wheel all this is is one person one vote yes there are issues and technical things but it should not be this complicated. And the only reason I think it's complicated is the nonstop bombardment of, of news and information. And that comes with social media too. I mean, we, we have these wonderful tools now called, I don't know if you can see that or not, I'm waving my, my cell phone, but you know we can, we can create our, well, you're creating news content right now. So that um, social media has broken the wall that used to exist uh, between news and the audience. We would deliver it and it was a one-way street and we really have to hold ourselves accountable uh, professionally, but now it's a two-way street. I can, or somebody can report a story and then at home you can say, well, I think they're wrong. I don't agree with them. So what do you do? You go on Twitter and let's say you have a hundred followers or a thousand followers and they agree with you so they retweet it to all their and pretty soon you have this avalanche you know avalanches start with a little bunch of snow and then it turns into this great big thing Uh, so uh, social the the great thing about social media Isabella is everybody has access to it Uh, the bad thing about social media is everybody has access to it (laughs)
0: <laughs> very, very true, and and that is why, from again, from the legacy sp- point and from the leadership standpoint, very important: Are we contributing part of the problem, or, or or are we contributing to to part of of solution? And how responsibly we're not only consuming but also disseminating information. So excellent point uh, in terms of that. It, it's 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 a danger, uh, but it also great opportunity, and and yes. in a way. It kind of shifts this finest hour of the journalism, uh, and and this week will be epic. Uh, so. Um I'm, I'm obviously by time the viewers and listeners get this will be a few days later after elections. So so maybe opportunity to also project. Uh, uh, you know w- what are you thinking in terms of shifts and change? It's not even who is going to win, and it's not at all political aspects of it. But um, I'm I'm just startled to see how much uh, uh, tension is there created that uh, I, I I really hope that. By Tom Friday or Saturday, or, or or following Monday arrives, we will have much more calmer waters and more sense of direction, because.
1: Well, I hope for, it's um, I hope the focus on election day is not which political candidate won, but if we the people won, the American people won. Um, it's disconcerting to see businesses um, in various downtowns boarding up their windows because of possible unrest after the election. And think about that, the United States of America, and the, these businesses are boarding up their windows because they're worried about violence and rioting and all. And that's not the United States of America. Um, and, but again, I think um, local media is really carrying the torch for quality journalism now. And I'll, I'll cite some examples because they all involve risk taking. Um, at uh, Nine News, uh, KOSA in Denver, uh, Kyle, Kyle Clark's broadcast next. I think it's been on the air now for about uh, three years, but they took a different tact towards reporting. First of all, he didn't wear a tie <laughs> on the air, but he he really communicated and, and interconnected with the viewers both in traditional ways and in social media. Another example is the Colorado Sun, uh, that was a newspaper formed by reporters who found themselves out of work through consolidation in the media. You know, the Rocky Mountain News a few years ago it shut down and. Another sad thing is hedge funds are buying up newspapers and they're laying off, every, they're laying off all the journalists. And, um, you know, journalists are essential to our democracy. But the local journalists live in the same communities we do. They live in the South. I've subscribed to the the Gainesville Times here in Gainesville, Georgia, um, because it's a local newspaper and I I need to support it. I want local news that I can trust. And and I write and I I contact the editor and things like that. But, you know, we all, our kids go to the same schools. uh, We eat at the same places. We shop at the same stores. uh, We drive on the same roads. And that's the accountability factor in journalism that local journalists have over the national journalists uh the brain trust for the national media and again this is just my opinion but it's in washington dc in new york city and that there's not a connection there although i think uh and again i tend to refer to cbs news just because i was connected with them for so long but but even then it's starting to work out cbs now has cbs and the app and you can go on there and you can get news content from cbs affiliates in denver um, um, um uh, News 4, again, another outstanding uh, reporting uh, organization. I've, I've done lots of things in their newsroom, um, but you can get it from Los Angeles or New York or Chicago. And so they're they're finding a way, the, most, the best asset that the networks have is the local journalist because they're on the ground covering those stories in their communities every single day. The folks in New York and Washington, D.C. are not. Finally, more and more, they are starting to listen to what the reporters in markets like Cheyenne or Denver or Gainesville, Georgia, are saying, because we live here.
0: That is so powerful. And thank you for for, uh, explaining and uh, your perspective of that, um, the differences of the local versus national or, or even international news. Uh, and you spot on because we have to understand what is going on in our own backyard before we can really look at what is going on elsewhere and then also how to position, how to support, how to make a difference and all of that. You mentioned twice already the tie and I have to just ask this, do you know who invented the tie? I do not. <laughs> Actually, Croatians did. So if you Google really? that, as a proud Croatian, I have to say, I know men, majority of men hate it, but <laughs> I wanted to say that is attribution to my homeland and Croatians. Wow, I <laughs> did not know that. i seen the Thai represented uh, and still does more of that a stoic um, conservative uh, or, or very highly professional look uh, and in and, and the news when we also want to relate when we want to connect we want to be approachable right so yeah. I can also see why a lot of local news agencies are shifting that and making themselves more blending in with the regular people and being one of them in community instead of portraying things outside of the community which is hugely hugely powerful.
1: Well, and, you know, um, you know, the technology we're using right now, a Zoom call, um, you know, I could never have imagined, you know, local news, and then they get the COVID-19 pandemic worldwide, and all of a sudden, newsrooms, which are known for having tight quarters, they're very group-orientated, group-think places, all of a sudden, your news team is spread out. They're in their basements. Kyle Clark, for example, again, I'm a big fan. He's doing a newscast from his basement, what you know? Uh, so why wear a tie in your basement? That makes no sense. But along with that logistical challenge that they've had to make, just but still putting the news out every single day from a myriad of spare bedrooms and rooms and garages or whatever, uh, and being their own camera people, um, they're having to cover other stories as well. A friend of mine who anchors in Portland, Oregon, you know, they their downtown has been just riots every night, or you go to all the other heartbreaking news that goes around uh, the country. So you're just getting the news out is in this, under, under this pandemic is difficult. But then you get all these other monstrous stories thrown at you, including an election like this one. Um, so I, th- I truly think that this is local journalism's finest hour. History will look back at this time and saying that local journalism stepped up and they succeeded. And you may not agree with everything they say or report, but you know what? You got choices. You don't like this station, watch another one. You don't like that station, watch another one. But watch one of them. Read one of the local papers. Listen to local radio. Um, they, believe me, they are working super hard just to give you the news that you that you need.
0: That is so very important because they're also dealing with so many obstacles, as you just mentioned, uh, from where they're reporting, technology use, and making sure that it is quality and still can't disseminate the information and uh, synchronizing with everybody else due to COVID because you cannot have a group of people present yet uh, understanding what is going on on the streets and right now with COVID rising everywhere across the country uh, it is very also challenging and difficult to be involved and uh, anticipate right what yeah. will happen next but you cannot have to be as the story is unfolding and more than ever to be alert and ready and be able to um, provide uh, timely and relevant information. And of course always aiming for the quality, so I, I believe that, in my opinion, now looking of the modern times, this is one of the most challenging and most difficult times to actually produce the news, wouldn't you say that.
1: Well, I think it's as challenging in news as it is for businesses of any way, shape or kind. I mean, you look at the, um, I got a cat about walking, wants to walk into my picture here. But you know, you look at the challenges that businesses, let's say you've owned a business, where people you're, you want, you're used to going into a store to pick up something or, or sit down in a restaurant. And we've changed the way we have to do business. We you know, Instead of going to the grocery store now, we order online, we pull up outside the store, we punch in a number, we're here, and they come out to your car and put the groceries in your trunk and off you go. But guess what? We're getting groceries and they're still selling groceries. The same accounts for news. We still need news. And so the news people are finding a way to keep our product um, being delivered to our customers. And, and another point I make too, which, which holds true for whatever business, but including journalism, is our viewers now control our brand. Your customers control your brand, um, and I learned that at a marketing conference I attended um, at Coca-Cola headquarters in Atlanta about eleven years ago, and they made that they made that point. This is Coca-Cola saying we don't control our brand anymore; our our customers control our brand, and so you have to remember that too. So again, that's the the advantage of local. They understand their 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 brand ambassadors because they're they're their neighbors. You know, we live right next door to each other, so it's a it's a good working relationship. But people are finding a way to succeed, as you well know.
0: Absolutely, and I think that is very very important um, because we need to be very creative, and now allows you for your creativity to shine in so many different ways, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, no opportunity is, um, is there, Um, you know, this country, you know, people talk about our turbulent times. When I moved to the United States in 1967, uh, I I remember my senior year in high school. Um, We had lost Dr. King to an assassin in uh, April of that year. Uh, And then in June, uh, Robert Kennedy was assassinated. And I remember the principal announcing over the PA that uh, Robert Kennedy had died. And so Dr. Martin Luther King and Robert Kennedy within a few months had both been assassinated. And uh, I remember my teacher coming up from behind me, it was a current events class of all things. And he was, he said, Brian, so what do you think of the United States so far? You know, and then we had the Vietnam war going and all the protests um, later that year, the Chicago convention, uh, the democratic convention was just chaos, a uh, chaos, uh, horrible times and you were, How did we get through that? But you know what we did? And one of the ways that we got through it is people in the news business were keeping us informed as to what was going on.
0: Wow, that is so powerful because right, you write every every milestone, every situation that we live currently presently appears to be one of the most important, more significant, more challenging, more difficult. But in reality, looking historically, we've been through all of these things through uh, pandemics and uh, major, major changes in this country. And we overcame and we persevered and we're still um, a a beautiful, proud nation in a way, right? Uh, We are. We have a lot of challenges ahead of us and a lot of changes that are not being anticipated, but um, I feel like we have such amazing intelligence of people with great skill set that um, I'm, I'm excited to see what unfolds in, in months and years to come. Well, well, this
1: is a time for us to, um, to actively engage, not only with our elected representatives, in fact, actively challenge them, regardless of your political persuasions, but you can do so politely. And, uh, you know, I have, uh, I belong to a couple of really good Facebook groups where we have very civil political discussions. We may differ on lots of issues, but we're more focused on solving problems than pointing fingers. And, um, but what we've gone through, uh, look at 9-11. What a horrible day that was, but so was Pearl Harbor. Um, But guess what? We got through it. We found a way to move on and continue as a nation. And I have every firm belief that uh, we will continue to do the same.
0: That, that is brilliant. That is fantastic. Thank you for sharing for that point of view. And if you don't mind, I just want to slightly switch the gears. And when I ask you, I mean, somebody like yourself, who is still extremely active in community and wants to make a difference and impact, and it does that very well. Uh, In addition, obviously, your career path and all the phenomenal successes you had. What is still left in your bucket list? I mean, you traveled so much. You're doing so much. And one of the things I want to kudos you, that your blood donor, that you're consistent that you're always looking how can i serve and how can i help and guys that you're watching and listening this is phenomenal mindset uh to have and 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 you're always happy i uh, always exude the optimism and 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 i'm just like so glad to have you in my circle of friends and colleagues because um it, it is such a wonderful trait
1: well it's um You know, you want to keep busy. I apologize if you hear any some hammering in the background. We're just getting our new basement finished. (laughs) So they're doing the fine tuning work on it right now. But in case you're hearing some banging going on. But um, no, I'm in fact, I'm running. I'm running for our homeowners association board of directors. Mm-hmm. and uh, with there's about a thousand homes in our community and it's a 55 plus very active uh, community it's a beautiful place and we really love it but I said you know what I'm going to run for the board you know and, and if people ask me why are you running for the board my response is why not um, I can I'm a no negative blood donor uh, anybody who gets my blood can uh, can use it uh, I've been donating for decades uh, but that's not something that's not something you know, I consciously, oh, I'm going to be an ONA blood donor. Um, no, that's how I was created. And uh, so it'd be very selfish of me not to, to share that. So I donate and I d- donated for years with uh, uh, Vitalant in Colorado. And now I donate with the Life South here in Gainesville, Georgia. And um, it's just something I like to do. I'm, I'm playing in a rock and roll band
0: <laughs> wow, I forgot about that. Oh my God, you were teasing with some of the videos uh, this summer when everybody <laughs> were distancing with masks and still playing. Okay, you have to tell us more. Uh, yes, please.
1: Well, when I moved to the United States in 67, the first thing I did, um, I you know, I played music pretty much my whole life and uh, like I wanted to really get into rock and roll so I went down to a local music store and, and ended up getting a gig with a really popular local group and so I played for rock and roll bands uh, through, my, through college and all that sort of stuff. It was just great fun to do and then it was ironic after moving to Cresswind here in, in, in Gainesville, Georgia to retire I joined a rock and roll band so wow. nothing changes and guess what? Every, everybody in our band Isabella is younger than Bruce Springsteen so it's a win (laughs) because he's getting old too but he's older than we are so we're doing music by the eagles in chicago and santana and um joe cocker and and all those great
0: classics um i love all of that yes
1: yeah just having fun you know and why not i can still play piano and guess what i can still donate blood and guess what i've got board experience so maybe if i get elected here that's the key i still have to be elected um maybe i can offer something to the community i live in so um like I say, get up every day and what's the challenge you want to identify and how can you solve it?
0: Yeah, that is brilliant because you have that servant leadership mindset. And I guys, again, that are listening and watching, this is so important because guess what? That creates dominant effect, compound results, either you're retired or not or, or whatever, people will always gravitate towards you and, and great opportunities uh, specifically during challenging economic times will always come your way. So, I know we cannot travel right now, but what is on the bucket list uh, on your travel agenda when you actually can?
1: Well. Uh- one of the things that my wife and I were looking at, it's still probably not totally out of the picture, but was literally doing around the world cruise. We're seriously looking at it, but you, th- there's just too many uncertainties. And it's ironic because this is the sort of thing you work for your whole life. Okay, <laughs> this is what we're going to do. We're going to do this and we're going to do that, but we're going to save up and, and then do all these things. So that's on the back burner. Uh, I think Norway's possibly on the list. But uh, right now, uh, the most important thing is we have a fourth grandchild on the way with our daughter and son-in-law in, uh, in Colorado and we're gonna be seeing them at Christmas. And so right now that's the most important thing for us is um, our fourth grandchild, we have three down here. And so instead of coming to Georgia to visit the grandkids, now we'll be going to Colorado to visit. We'll probably drive instead of fly. Um, I'm not saying flying is dangerous. It's just, we can drive. I don't, we don't have to be there in three hours. So, um, but yeah, I think it's priorities. And for right now that uh, it's our grandkids and our, our, our soon to be uh, fourth grandchild in, in Colorado. That's what's most important. If we get to go to Norway or we get to go around the world, that's great. That's gravy. But the grandkids are where it's at.
0: That is fantastic and, and, and it's a, such a beautiful thing. Congratulations to you and your wife. Thank you. And if you don't mind, uh, last question uh, that I'd like to, uh, to answer, please. Obviously we're on the Legacy Leader Show and you accomplish again, as I mentioned, phenomenal, phenomenal results in your tenure professionally and personally. But um, what would you like you to be remembered by? What would you like your legacy to be?
1: Well, you know, uh, a legacy is not something that you decide upon. That is something the people that you worked with decide upon. Uh, that is something that your your family decides upon what your legacy is. That's not something that you decide. Uh, no, I've made tons of mistakes in life. Who hasn't? You know, but I'm I'm gratified when I can reach out um, to people that I've worked with thirty and forty years ago, and 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 through social media, we 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 get to keep in touch. We're still friends. We worked hard together. We made mistakes together. We suffered disappointments together. Successes together. But I, I, I think that's for me the, the greatest thing is is having people that I've worked with thirty and forty years ago. We're still friends. We still want to keep in touch, and and that's great. Uh, I that's that's what makes me happy
0: great perspective, uh, but with our actions we're carving and creating a consciously and subconsciously uh, that legacy and um, I'm really looking forward to see in years to come what more and what next.
1: Yeah, um, me too. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Bren, it was absolute pleasure to have you here and if you would like to just to have a closing remarks or anything you want to share with the audience uh, that we discussed earlier uh, so they can keep in mind um, how, how they can be great contributors to local, national, international community.
1: Show up, you know, don't, there's every, it's easy to say, hmm, that's bad. Somebody should do something about that. Uh, a great friend uh, and, and mentor, of former Wyoming Senator, Alan Simpson, he said that about people who put their name on a ballot. He said, you know, they, they, they had the courage of their conviction to put their name on a ballot to say, this is what I think, these are problems I identify, and this is how I think we can solve them. And then we, the people, get to vote. So uh, don't say, we should, somebody should do something about it. Why don't you do something about it? Mm-hmm. And there's lots of ways to do that. There's, there's so many ways that you can still make a difference in, and stay safe in this crazy pandemic world.